Well, good morning, everyone, and a special thank you to, to Veronica and Jade. Thank you for um, those words you are able to share with us and encouraging us to pray. And we want to keep doing that for you and for the people both in Belarus and in Lebanon. Uh, we continue uh, this morning our series in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, so would you open with me to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1. I was saying to someone a little earlier, this is a terrifying sermon to preach, knowing that um, I need to hear it as much as anyone in this room and to uh, hear the words of the Lord. So let's listen carefully together. Then Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples disobey the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Then Jesus answered them, why do you disobey the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God said, honour your father and mother, and the one who speaks evil of their father or mother, let them be put to death. But you say, whoever says to their father or mother, what you might have gained from me as a gift to God, does not dishonour his father. And you nullify the word of God because of your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy concerning you. This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And calling the crowds, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Knowing the Pharisees were scandalised when they heard the word, he said to them, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, Every plant that is not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. Leave them. They are blind guides of the blind. And if the blind guides the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Peter said to him in reply, explain to us this parable. And he said, are you still without understanding? Don't you know that everything that enters into the mouth passes into the stomach and passes out into the sewer? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, blasphemy. These are the things that defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, as we seek to understand your word this morning and to live in the light of it, would you please take all distractions from us? Would you help us to hear your voice? And would you help us not only to listen, but to obey? For this we ask of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hypocrisy is ugly. There's no two ways about it. Part of the reason why we recoil so sharply at any suggestion that we are hypocrites is that we've all seen hypocrisy and we know that it's ugly. The thought that this might be true of us, that others might see that in us, is deeply disturbing. Now that's true of any kind of hypocrisy, but it's particularly true of religious hypocrisy, isn't it? When what we preach or teach and what we do does not match up. When we present ourselves as something that we just are not. When our concern is for appearance rather than reality, for what's in our hands rather than what's in our hearts. 
we know that Jesus repeatedly condemned hypocrisy. And so the last thing we ever want to be identified as is as a hypocrite. Even if deep in our own hearts, we know how far too often that is precisely the word that describes what we've been acting like, talking like, living like. Hypocrisy so often takes what is trivial and uses it to mask what is seriously deficient. It takes what matters least and pumps that up with the hope that no one will notice that what matters most is just not there. And it is amazing how many times it fools people. More generally, the man who is remarkably affectionate to his wife in public, but who in private treats her like a slave or worse. The woman who appears to be so attentive, such a wonderfully sympathetic listener, but who can't wait to tear down and gossip about the person who's just been sharing with her. But more particularly, the person with all the pious vocabulary or the ability to hold an audience on the edge of their seats who's been able to build a remarkable platform for gospel ministry, yet all the while has been indulging themselves, exploiting or abusing others, treating God with contempt. How many big-name, much-lauded preachers and church leaders have been exposed as leading a double life, where dishonesty and immorality have been going on behind closed doors at the same time that they've been enjoying the adulation of the Christian crowds. The facade has eventually come tumbling down and the tragedy is deepened by the lives that have been wrecked along the way. And the common denominator so often is that we are so fixated on what we can do with our hands or in our case with our minds and words or relational skills or our writing skills, that we've paid scant attention to what's happening in our hearts, how cold they've become, how hard they've become, how numb they've become. Aren't you tired of the self-promoting champion of women's ministry who in person treats women in the most appalling ways? Or the person with the reputation for being one of the most pastoral people you'd ever meet but has only ever treated you with harsh and cruel words that have left you shattered. Or the preacher whose astonishing skill in the pulpit or the teaching platform is only about the pulpit or the teaching platform and not at all about binding the wounds of the people sitting in front of them or warning them about the danger staring them in the face, who nothing, knows nothing at all about the congregation he or she serves because they're too busy crafting the world's best sermon to spend any time with them. Remember how real hypocrisy is, how ugly it is, how destructive and dangerous it is, but most of all, how close it is. And you'll see why Jesus confronts it head on and uses the strongest possible language to unmask it. Friends, the heart of this passage, this uh, confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes and its aftermath, is in the words Jesus quoted from the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 29. The prophet was bringing God's word to bear on a moment of crisis, you might remember. Jerusalem was under judgment. 
refusing to hear God's words. The prophet himself knew that it would be like this from the moment he was commissioned in chapter 6. And yet, in astonishing acts of foolishness, the people in Jerusalem act as if their own external religious activity will be enough to stave off the judgment that's coming. The religion was still there, but the reality had long gone. This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Now, I think it's possible to get distracted in this account of Matthew 15. It gives us a great chance to have a rave against tradition. And don't we love to do that? You know, all tradition is wrong. All tradition ultimately undermines the word of God. We should strip it all away. There's nothing good about it. But friends, that would be to focus on the symptom rather than the disease. Oh yeah, tradition can be a problem. It can be a distraction and worse. But there is a bigger problem that Jesus unmasks in this exchange with the Pharisees and scribes, in the brief conversation with the crowds and the more extended conversations with his disciples. Tradition itself is not the problem. After all, the Apostle Paul would one day call on those in the churches to take seriously what he had handed down to them. The real problem lies elsewhere. So let's take a quick look at this passage in those three blocks and see what it is. Firstly, what Jesus tells the Pharisees and scribes about empty religion. Secondly, what Jesus tells the crowds about what truly defiles a person. And thirdly, what Jesus tells his disciples about the real problem underlying it all. So firstly, what Jesus tells the Pharisees and scribes about empty religion. The appalling triviality of what mattered to the Pharisees is highlighted when you realise what has just happened before this. In chapter 14, a huge crowd of people start with 5,000 men, but with women and children, it could be two times, three times, four times that size. A huge crowd of people fed with five loaves and two fish, and that was more there in fragments at the end than there had been food in the beginning. And Jesus walking on the waves, calming the chaos, encouraging faith and worshipped, truly you are the Son of God. And the healing of those in Gennesaret who only had to touch the fringe of his garment and they were healed. The astonishing compassion, the unsurpassable power and the indiscriminate generosity of Jesus right up close, right there in their own town. And the Pharisees come up and say, do you realise your disciples don't wash their hands when they eat bread? Why don't they obey the rules? Now, being fastidious about uh, washing might resonate with us in the season of the COVID uh, pandemic. Hand sanitizer at every conceivable point. Signs encouraging us to wash our hands regularly. I've never washed my hands as much as I'm washing them now. Hygiene levels are higher than ever. But this was not about hygiene. It was about ritual purity. It was about the symbol of acceptability. It was about parading virtue. It was about waving the flag. And in the light of all that Jesus had been doing, is this really what they're interested in? Well, yes. But appalling as that is, it's just a symptom. 
The Pharisees, it appears, had taken the acts of purification which God had required of the priests in the Old Testament and extended them to everyone. Anyone who wanted to be seen as genuinely religious needs to adopt this practice, they were saying. The rabbis would eventually develop a manual on hand washing. When it needed to be done, how it needed to be done, how much water needed to be used, how far up the arm you went, all the details. And they expected anyone who wanted to be taken seriously as a religious person to get on board. Jesus shows up the shallowness, the emptiness of their religion with a question that parodied the one they asked. Why do you disobey the tradition of the elders, they asked. And he said, why do you disobey the commandment of God? And why do you do it for the sake of your tradition? And then he quoted the law on the honour and respect parents should be shown to their children. In Exodus 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment, honour your father and mother. And just a chapter later in Exodus 21, 17, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. But you've come up with a not-so-elaborate way of getting out of all of that. Just call the obligation or the support or the gift. Just call it a gift devoted to God. Just call it korban, as the other Gospels would say. And it won't be a matter of dishonour when you don't give it to your parents. The law, the word of God, doesn't apply anymore in that situation. But the chilling thing is what Jesus says next. You nullify the word of God because of your tradition. You've pitted tradition, not against the laziness of the people, but in fact against the word of the living God. You set aside the word of God while at the same time trying to parade your own virtue. You nullify the word of God because of your tradition. As if you could really nullify the word of God. God's word endures forever. It can't be overthrown. It's the utmost folly to try. But that is what, in effect, you have tried to do, Pharisees and scribes. You've nullified the word of God because of your tradition. In passing, it's worth noting that Jesus quotes Exodus 20 and Exodus 21, texts from the scrolls of the Old Testament, and refers to them as the word of God. Without qualification, without any hedging, the living incarnate word of God calls the written text of the Old Testament the word of God. That's worth reflecting on sometime. But the point here is that Jesus unmasks the Pharisees' appeal to tradition as an assault upon the word of God. Their man-made rules, their great tradition had been elevated above the word of God and provided a convenient way of getting out of wholesale obedience. The Pharisees, the pure ones, the seriously religious people, everybody knew that, were in fact trying to get around the call to biblical obedience. Their claim to serious religion was empty. Jesus uses the word hypocrite here for the first time in Matthew's Gospel. The first time, but not the last. The Pharisees were, in the end, more concerned with the symbol than the reality more concerned with what was in their hands, almost literally, than what was in their hearts. And this is the point at which Jesus uses the words of judgment from Isaiah 29. For you see, 
the, the tradition they were really keeping, with all their network of rules and requirements and regulations, was the tradition of shallow, faithless hypocrisy that extended at least as far back as the time of Isaiah. Their heart is far from me. They might have hidden that ugly truth from everyone else, but they could not hide it from God. Well, Matthew tells us that next Jesus called the crowds to him. He had something to say that they needed to understand. That's underlined by the first words he says, hear and understand. So what does Jesus tell the crowds about what truly defiles a person? The crowds needed to hear this message from Jesus because the Pharisees were proclaiming their own message loud and clear. Their preoccupation with ceremonial ritual washing, not just the washing of hands, of course, but the washing of bowls and other utensils, this symbolic commitment to purity suggested the danger of contamination from the environment was real and needed to be guarded against in this elaborate way. And yet Jesus said clearly and without confusion, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, it's what comes out of the mouth. They've got it the wrong way around. They've been distracted by their own traditions and their own disingenuous appeal to purity. Hear and understand. Don't be fooled. Wash all you like and you can still be defiled by what comes out of your mouth. Virtue signal all you like, but the signal does not make you virtuous and the washing does not guarantee your purity. Don't be fooled. The danger comes from what's inside not what's outside. Set up the barricades to keep the world out and it won't work because the world is already in. Dress up all you like. Embark on the most rigorous of spiritual disciplines. Get busy with doing. Get the very best theological education you can find. Get the best spiritual gym equipment you can find. But the danger will not come from the outside but rather from the inside. It's really not one of Jesus' most enigmatic sayings, is it? It's pretty straightforward. Jesus has given the crowds a warning. He has overturned the priorities of the Pharisees. And he doesn't feel the need to explain his words any further. Just hear and understand. Don't be fooled by this triviality. Take seriously the real danger. And so Jesus steps away from the Pharisees and away from the crowds, and calls his disciples. So thirdly, what Jesus tells his disciples about the real problem underlying it all. And he begins by warning them too. He knew the Pharisees were scandalised, the steam was coming out of their ears, the, the death stares were multiplying by the, minute, by the minute. Jesus, by his words, and especially that quote from Isaiah 29, had trampled on all that they saw as most valuable, the great and hallowed tradition of the elders. He'd identified them, the seriously religious people of the first century, the pure ones, the Pharisees, with the hard-hearted, deaf-eared leaders of Jerusalem 600 years before. But pay them no mind. Leave them alone. Don't give them another thought, he says. They are not planted by my heavenly Father and so they will be uprooted. There will be a reckoning. The charade cannot go on forever. 
they are nothing more than blind guides of the blind. And if the blind guides the blind, both will fall into a ditch. In other words, they are misled and they are misleading others. They will not follow the trajectory of their own scriptures straight to Jesus. They major on the trivial and they set up traditions that are really thinly veiled attempts to get around the word of God. They are a danger to others, but a reckoning is coming. And then, once again, it's an interruption by Peter that gives us the opportunity to see what the real problem is here. It's actually been hinted at, more than hinted at already, in those words from Isaiah 29. The real problem is a problem of the heart. The real problem is the essential me. What is true in the deepest recesses of who I am. The Pharisees and scribes were playing games on the outside, preoccupied with hands and washings and all other sorts of externals, but the real problem was and is internal. It's what comes out of the mouth that can really defile a person because what comes out of the mouth reflects the heart. The real problem is not dirt on the hands but evil in the heart. And so Jesus responds to Peter by explaining exactly what he means. What goes into the mouth will come out again another way. But the things that come out of the mouth, they come from the heart and they do the real damage. And Jesus spelt it out. Evil thoughts, that hatred that could lead to murder if you had the chance. That lust that could lead to adultery if the opportunity presented itself. That sexual immorality that greed that leads to theft, the lies and slander and false testimony that cuts down your rival to size, that blasphemy that speaks against God, the God who made you and gives you every breath. Jesus turned the disciples' attention from the hands to the heart, from the external to the internal, from the ceremonies we might perform to who we really are at core. It is always much, much easier to attend to the symbol rather than to the reality. And do you see it? Do you see what Jesus is saying about the human heart, about every human heart? The defilement comes from there. It's not a matter of guarding against becoming defiled or or corrupted or, or stained with sin. The heart is already defiled. What I am inside is fundamentally defiled. The essential me already has the contagion. In fact, it's the source of the contagion. And the triviality of the Pharisees' preoccupation is all the more obvious now, isn't it? What obsession with their tradition, with all its extravagant displays of purification and its sidestepping of the word of God, really showed was the condition of the human heart. We are so very good at manufacturing alternatives to faith and repentance and obedience. We act as if we can manipulate God by our own displays of religion and by our religious rules. But God sees the heart. And the heart is the real problem. Which is why we need a saviour. As the rest of uh, Matthew 15 unfolds, we'll see again 
the compassion and the mercy and the open-handed generosity of Jesus. And we'll see again why the problem comes from inside of us, but the answer must come from outside of us, from the one who not only sees the heart but can heal the heart. We'll continue that journey to the cross where the very thing we are unable to do, deal with the sin that pollutes us from the inside, is done for us. Hypocrisy is ugly. It so often takes what is trivial and uses it to mask what is seriously deficient. It plays around at the shallow end of the pool and doesn't deal with the real danger that lies in the depths in the heart. And the scary thing, especially for us in this place, is that it was those who ought to have been teaching and guiding and caring for God's people who are unmasked as the hypocrites. Of all people, the guardians of Jewish life and religious heritage were the ones who had devised ways around the word of God, ways of avoiding its challenge and demand. And it was all futile in the end because the contagion they never really addressed was in their hearts. The words of Isaiah 29 should have terrified them. And we need to hear their warning again this morning. Pray that this might never be said of any one of us. This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrine their own ideas, the commandments of men.